0: Production.
1: G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool and welcome to The Good Oil. Now, if you're new to the podcast, and you're not familiar with the phrase, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff and the real stuff. And that's the aim of our podcast. We're bringing you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. That description pretty much very neatly uh, describes today's guest because he's been all of those things and more and there is so much going on in this space. Scott Naga, welcome to The Good Oil. Thank you very much, Scott. Now, you are the Senior Manager of Future Mobility and Government Relations at Hyundai. That's important. You're also, though, a co-founder and director of the Australian Hydrogen Council. We're going to talk a lot about the future of a whole lot of things, including the future of transport, but I have a feeling, this conversation is going to embrace a whole lot of futuristic thinking and looking, not in terms of necessarily jets any stuff, just the things that are kind of already, I imagine happening. And some of the things you can tell us about what your organization is working on, but maybe more broadly, what's actually happening in the space so evs are the are the the key kind of cool thing that everyone wants to talk about and i know you guys are into that as well but hydrogen in particular is the dark horse it was one that was kind of talked about then poo-pooed now maybe it's back so man, i'm looking forward to this conversation um maybe just before we get into that, even that uh co-founder of the australian hydrogen council it's a hell of a thing to co-found uh, tell us kind of that that story how does that come about what does it do why did you think it was necessary
0: it was a bit of a funny one. Uh, before this, I was working for the NRMA um, as a motoring rider and testing cars and crash testing cars. And I was in Korea in 2008, um, crash testing. Uh, happened to be a Hyundai, actually. Crash testing. That was the first ANCAP crash test out of Australia. And the lunch bell went off. We just crashed the car. None of the measurements would take place. I wandered out the, the kind of the back area of the, the crash test centre and stumbled across a hydrogen car back in uh, 2008 and caught underneath, I dragged out and got abused <laughs> Pretty, pretty heavily um and really caught the bug from there and, and came back to australia right. started writing about it wasn't going too far done a lot of research and study at what was happening globally uh and then eventually moved to youngland um so i kind of had a career of writing that cars and, and crash testing and, and judging for australia's best car awards and moved to hyundai because what i could see from working in their r&d factories and from the other manufacturers where they're heading with the tech and the tech fascinated me and the benefits for australia so we started up the Hydrogen Council uh, in about 2012-13. It was pretty lewd, so we reformed it. Um, I visited a couple of H2Mobility meetings in the UK and France and other places to see where other countries are heading uh, and in California, and then we eventually um, formalised the uh, association, and it's grown. It's got about 103 members now, and it's found the members of all the big oil, gas, technology um, companies are all there. Uh, there's representation from all state and federal government departments, so it's a... Uh, it's a hive of activity right now.
1: You talk about two thousand and eight being in being in Korea and seeing these hydrogen vehicles. And for a while, they were the only thing that anyone wanted to talk about. And then kind of EVs became the only thing anyone wanted to talk about. You tend to get the the EV fanboys, the the, the Tesla fanboys and that kind of stuff. Um, you very rarely get hydrogen fanboys. It doesn't seem to have a, a, attracted so much kind of excitement amongst amongst the public. And yet you've got people like Twiggy and, and others, Twig- Andrew Forrest. And, and again, there's, I know there's a lot more than that, but from an Australian perspective, he is, you know, I should disguise him a Fortescue shareholder, a very small Fortescue shareholder. Um, but he's all in on, on trying to you know have a hydrogen future industry in australia so obviously um, the sort of thing you've talked about but it's still a technology that's kind of pooed-pooed by some as being not green enough or maybe isn't safe enough or maybe not portable enough or you know there's reasons why evs are, are the answer um i know you're not necessarily in one camp or the other but maybe you could kind of Tell us, kind of, give us a bit of a side by side, if you like, in terms of technologically, commercially, um, frankly, from a, from a consumer uptake or consumer interest or, or um, uh, preparedness. Frankly, you know, the, the, the Hindenburg thing is still in people's minds. You know, more than a century later, uh, it, it feels unsafe. It feels like, why would you do that? I occasionally say to people, mate, you're driving with a tank full of petrol. Like, it's, it's not that different. Um, but, but, kind of, can you can you kind of share the uh, your or the companies or the industry's uh, view on on those two competing
0: technologies yeah i'll probably give the overall view from from my own personal view but and and being around cars for a long time but also from a hyundai point of view on industry we're lucky enough to from a hyundai perspective have both technologies we've both got ev we've got fuel cell vehicles and and we're one of those manufacturers that builds light vehicles um, commercial vehicles electric trucks hydrogen trucks hydrogen buses trams trains Um, we're one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world will build you and frigates or submarines or, or you know, <laughs> container ships or whatever it might Very be. Cool. So yeah. from a vertical integration point of view and what Hyundai does and, and having all the parts inside. And I will say that all the steel we use and, and the products produced in Korea um, is Australian steel out of the Pilbara. Uh, so we'll be those on the road and the ships and trains and bits and pieces around us also have yeah. the Pilbara. But um, the biggest thing to think about is that emission regulations are cutting in around the world. We're quite far behind in Australia. There's been a lot of conversation the last couple of weeks um, after the EV summit in Canberra and, and where um, the Prime Minister and, and Chris Bowen and others are working on now. That um, where the country needs to get to and the EV association has got one opinion. The Federal Chamber has got another opinion. We'd have to come to a consensus, but we nearly, really need to understand what are the differences here in Australia compared to Europe and North America. So we've got both texts. We've got uh, in both camps and both members uh, of the... Um, founders of the Hydrogen Association, um, um, foundation members, of the EV Association, and members of, the, of the, uh, the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. We talked to everyone to try and get the message across that, one, we are pretty far behind here in Australia. We've got some great opportunities, unlike other countries. We can make all the fuel here. So emission regs are cutting in around the world. Um, manufacturers have to change. Some countries ban internal combustion engines by 2025. Some scan in Scandinavian countries then 2030, 20, 2035. 20, most of Europe goes from a Canada perspective, we won't be selling internal combustion engines into Europe by 2035 because they're banned anyway. Now, we don't know what that's, that's going to be in Australia. That's going to be worked on the next couple of months with the government and industry and probably the next year or two. But we have some great opportunities here where currently we import nearly all of our fossil fuel wooden fuels. There's only two refineries left one at Lytton in Brisbane um, with Ampol and one down with Thief Energy in Geelong in Victoria, making a very small percentage of our fuel. But our neighbours, Korea, Japan, um, India and others, are all looking at Australia to provide their low-emission fuels for the future. So the opportunity here is, with the highest uptake of wind and solar um, across most of our coastline, and say, Australia has done some amazing studies, not only can we be a massive exporter of our renewable energy, and that's obviously where Twiggy and others are looking at that, but what are we doing for our own networks here in Australia? How do we have a consistent fuel supply and the best way to think about it and what we do with governments, and I'm back in Canberra the next couple of weeks um, uh, going through um, the offices again, uh, is trying to get people to understand the differences of technology. So, EVs will more than likely replace petrol. I say more than likely, in some cases where fuel cell might be better in different um, parts of the vehicle, and fuel cell replaces D. So, the heavier the mass of a vehicle, fuel cell is basically a replacement for that. We can fill up vehicles whether we light like vehicles are heavy. Um, as quick as we can with petrol or diesel today, where EVs take a, a bit longer to fill and don't have the same range. So it's basically that replacement for or mass transit, anything heavy, whether it be road, rail, marine or air in the future. Uh, we do have the next fuel cell vehicle in Australia. We, we launched that in 2019 here and, and had the first car ADR compliant and crash tested with a five-star crash test. We spoke about crash safety. In 2019, that car was crash tested by Euro NCAP, And in Europe, it was... Crash tested uh, um, as SUV up against all other SUVs, petrol, diesel, across all brands. All the big German brands and everything, and it was the safest SUV of any brand and any drivetrain in 2019. So the technology is very, very safe. Uh, that's one of the things. that's um, you know, I'm sitting here next to a hydrogen fuel cell stack in my office, and the tank, um, parts of hydrogen tank sitting near my head here, and and testing it go, and it's phenomenal. You spoke about. You know, people don't realise what well, they're sitting on petrol cards I've asked to go to the government today, so they've got a great idea in 2022 for a car that holds 60 litres of a wholly volatile liquid on the back of a car in a tank that's a, mil- a millimetre thick or two millimetres <laughs> thick in a highly vulnerable rear end of the car. Um, right. You'd be laughed out of, out, out of the offices It'd in rather, Canberra, but yeah. with fuel cell, all the work's been done, and same with, with battery electric vehicles mm. too. There's a lot more gone into it and the autonomous, semi-autonomous technology and the active and passive safety features in modern cars really makes them a very, very safe option. And to be honest, Scott, and coming from a crash testing background and, and look at tallies, um, a couple of groups I was with, I'd rather have my wife and kids in the back of a fuel cell car any day of the week than a petrol car. Wow,
1: there you go. That, that's, that's pretty clear. And Matt, I'm going to ask you a bit more about the the, the competing technologies, or maybe they're not even competing, maybe they're just uh, complementary in that context, because I, I hadn't... I, my first, time, I'm not an expert in this area, but I hadn't heard the distinction made before around... Petrol to EV, diesel to, to fuel cell. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, and you talk about the is is it is it is it range, that torque, is it refillability, is it speed? What you know, there's, there are people working electric trucks right now. Um, why is it, in your view, likely, possible, definite, whatever, whatever adjective you want to use? Why why is it probable that that's the direction that the heavy vehicles will go, rather than um, some of the you know, Teslas making a electric semi and all that kind of stuff? And again, I know, I'll keep mentioning those guys and I'll mention Hyundai a few times to give you guys. A app as well of course but um you know the, the
0: the the why why is the technology likely to split that way in your view yeah you, you mentioned a few them there it's filling time so we can fill a truck with 35 to 50 kilos of hydrogen in about 10 minutes a vehicle can fill so our vehicles take 6.33 kilos of hydrogen we can fill that in about three minutes so the tech's there um the network's pretty much the same so look at the service stations around australia there's seven thousand service stations around australia and not all of those need to be hydrogen stations or even EV stations in the future, but those main ones on corridors should certainly be stations. And there's a great app that your listeners should, should download. It's called H2.live, 2lov And if you zoom out of Australia, zoom of Germany, there's 96 operational hydrogen stations in Germany today, another 10 under construction. So um, our corporate office for all of Europe is based in Frankfurt. Five years ago, there was one hydrogen station in Frankfurt um, and today there's six and there's stations getting put on the routes coming into Frankfurt, Berlin, Hamburg and Stuttgart and Munich. They've all got multiple hydrogen stations and you can see from the big um, global players there, whether it be Total or Shell or BP, um, are all playing. The best thing about hydrogen, it's not just oil companies selling you hydrogen, it's gas companies who are the traditional manufacturers of hydrogen going head-to-head with big oil. Then you've got technology companies that make it from renewable energy and water going head-to-head with big industrial gas and industrial oil. So from a consumer perspective, for future competition, it's going to be pretty awesome for, for consumers because they can choose to go with a company that's making it from a source or someone who's going to try and carbon offset. Um, but when you've got all those big industrial competitors going head-to-head with your transport dollars, it's something that to benefit consumers in the future. But that big difference is that we can build the trucks um, and buses and trains very quickly, and they can do up to the same range as diesel. We do have, we'll have battery electric trucks around the world. But Hyundai, we've got them now. We've got hydrogen trucks deployed in, in Switzerland, another um, 29, I think, or 30 have landed in Germany just in the last couple of days um, with a lot of the big funded projects over there. We've got one in New Zealand that's been um, deployed and another couple coming. Uh, it's just understanding what networks are required. And we kind of use Germany as an example that don't take a scattergun approach, look at those hubs and clusters. So we've got a hydrogen station here in Sydney we built in 2014 and the first, kind of publicly available station is in Canberra. We finished that last year and launched the station, the cars, um, with 20 hydrogen cars at ACT Government. And that station is great because, in the future, we would take trucks and buses and a lot of other things, the railway line's behind it, a lot of land around it to make it bigger in the future. It's it's really planning for infrastructure is critical. And and even from the EV perspective, we're not doing a great job here in Australia at the moment. Hydrogen is even harder. um, And we should be looking at any project as... A zero emission transport bed. So how are we going to do hydrogen and electric vehicle dealing in the future? You know, Toyota's got hydrogen cars here as well. Um, and they've got competitors with EVs of Nissan and Tesla and, and all the German manufacturers got MGP now. So one of the things that Hyundai really emphasises is for us to be successful in Australia with zero emission vehicles, we need competition, good competition in both heavy and light vehicles because we won't make everything or every platform that the consumer wants. So and what competition does that drives consumer awareness consideration to purchase and when that happens the government starts going on it's kind about the next election we'll invest in infrastructure and try and drive the industry forward but so many uh, great explanation thank you there's so many different parts to
1: this and i'm curious again uh, you know uh, to the extent you cannot don't want to speak to or from Hyundai's perspective but you, you've got on one hand you know we'll only we'll only be offered the, the, the vehicles that manufacturers want to produce manufacturers though will probably want to produce vehicles they think will buy governments you know will regulate or not and then as you mentioned infrastructure is either going to be available or it's not and the you know and overlaid with that i think because this is not a purely market-driven reality it's it's a climate-driven reality that has more than just you know oil became a thing because it was available and it was energy dense and we started to use it so we used it for more things it just kind of naturally evolved and i think it doesn't seem likely to me that we have the opportunity to have this market evolve in the same way because in 45 years when it evolves slowly by itself we're all dead because the planet's overheated right so the there is some need for some intervention somewhere or someone to make some calls how does that balance out and again on top of that i suppose we're not talking about australia i mean you know you and i are in australia you work for for the australian business but You know, I don't imagine you guys or anyone's going to make cars just for Australia. Oh, Australia wanted hydrogen vehicles, so i will make them for there, but everyone else could have the EVs. Or vice versa, everyone's also got EVs, we'll make hydrogen vehicles for Australia. There's going to have to be critical mass globally um, for you guys to make it worth your while. How does that play out? Do do you have, do you kind of lay lay in bed at night with your eyes eyes staring at the ceiling thinking, how does this whole jigsaw come together? And and maybe it's not that simple, maybe it's much much more complex than I think. Um, But just as I think through that myself and think, I don't know how how I would put investments against these things when, you know, is it the white elephant or is it is it the future? I, I'm not sure. I don't know how we are, We know at a, at a manufacturer, government, public, consumer, everything else level, everyone's sitting back saying, oh, I'll wait for them
0: to go first, as you kind of just mentioned. Um, how, how, does that, how does that work? How does that play out? It's a massive jigsaw puzzle and a lot of missing pieces. We were one of the only countries I was aware of in the world and having the opportunity to work. I um, at, at worked in the US and Europe and in Korea quite often and Japan. We were one of the only places, only places I was aware in the world where the transition to zero emission transport was actually driven by the industry. There was no regulation in place. There was very little incentives across the country. Where there is incentive, they differ from state to state. In, in one state, we've got a, a tax against EVs, um, which was the first in the world. So it was a very difficult market. So the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industry set up and had a voluntary emission regulation, which was in place. Now, it's a starting point. It's probably not... Um, we're going to be in the future, and that'll be used as a baseline for the government um, to move on from there. But it was actually driven by industry in the first place, mainly because we know that the choice of internal combustion engines over the next 10 to 15 years, 20 years, will dwindle. It's happening quicker by some manufacturers. So there's some some manufacturers at the moment that are very vocal about the transition, how quick it needs to happen, because their choice of engines out of Europe, and these are German manufacturers, is starting to dwindle today. We don't have that problem with our brand just yet. But what we have done, every single zero emission vehicle we have in Europe or the US, we have here in Australia now. I said this week or tonight we launched um, three more vehicles, electric vehicles in Sydney with one of our our brands and we've got another electric vehicle coming this year. Um, So everything we've got on the road in Europe uh, from an EV perspective or hydrogen fuel cell in a passenger vehicle is here in Australia. We just don't have the volume here at the moment. And so that's, I suppose...
1: Uh, that is the catch 22. Um, I guess if the vehicles are here and they're available to be sold, it's just a question of whether consumers want them. And if I guess uh, the things that go around that range anxiety, infrastructure support, all the stuff that, that kind of is, is attached at the moment, it does feel like other um, jurisdictions are going to drive us, as you've already said. Europe's not going to take internal combustion engines past 2035. Some are banning them more quickly. I saw Bank Australia, uh, one, of, one of the banks here, is now not going to lend. To, to, for purchase of internal combustion engines after 2025, that's their commitment to banking zero net zero. Um, I mean, we're obviously moving in this direction, mate. I wonder what 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 would what should we be doing? If you if you let's swap hats for a second, I, again, I don't want you you won't be critical of, of government because you have to work with these people. But if if you had the ministers and you said, look. Here, here are the things you, you guys kind of would... Um, you know, you, got, you got a few years till the next election. Here's the two or three things you really need to do to make this work, to give Australian consumers the confidence or the ability or the whatever. Um, and again, this is a chance to to, you know, to play play your own tune. I'm sure you've had this conversation a million times with a million different ministers and, and shadow ministers and state and federal and everything else. But what do they need to do to A, do the right thing by the climate, B, keep up with the rest of the world and C, I guess, let you guys as manufacturers make... The appropriate levels of investment i'm sure you happily import many many more cars with some structural change
0: yeah i think the biggest thing for us is having consistency across the nation so having strong federal leadership which we've got now there's been a lot of things passed in the last new parliament a lot of things passed um planning to come up in the next two weeks of got parliament um, Coming up soon, we've got a whole lot of um, meetings planned. we are taking uh, one of the Ionic five electric vehicles down, which we had there last time, and, and, and this is in them, and drive themselves to the airport. Instead of, instead of jumping in a comp car, they drive themselves to the airport in an electric car, which is great. And I don't care whether it's our brand on this or not Tesla or anyone else, it's getting people that are decision makers and leading this country to understand the benefits of the technology. And then you know we, we look at the other side of the fuel security. It's a really big one here, uh, having that much fuel imported and Looking at what happens into the future, how do we actually ensure that we have the power, um, our own networks? And my preference is, is would be green power, using renewable energy or, or some other form of energy, uh, pumped hydro. But if the ships stop coming, at least we do have other forms of energy production today to keep our fleet to power. We're not having a stranded fleet, and we we are a country with one of the worst fuel security uh, issues in the world. I remember back probably 16 or 17 years ago, engaged a gentleman called John Blackburn who was ex head of the Air Force, um, a Defence Force analyst, um, threat security analyst, who was, was very big on, on security. It was the first time they'd been tabled in Parliament, um, Australia's field security, and it was really scary and horrible 16 years ago. And that's when we had a lot more So it's, it's gotten worse now, but we do have a great opportunity to make a lot of renewables. Look at all the spent renewables that can be around in Australia, how do people get paid to take them off the grid. We use German the example again. Up in northern Germany, there's so much onshore and offshore wind and solar, and there's a lot of renewables. A lot of renewables is made when it's not needed, so people are paid to take off the grid so they can maintain frequency in the grid, keep lights on. But those people make a lot of money by making hydrogen when they're paid to take energy off the grid, um, and then they're selling it uh, for profit you know, per kilo later on down the track. So it can be done for a great country for it. Our Asian and uh, even some of our European um, partner countries are looking for Australia to power their fleets of the future. What are we doing for our own nation here? And and all the big oil companies and and gas companies and energy are all part of it. Look at the members of the Australian Hydrogen Council. Um, They know what's happening. We know why they're there. We know what their parent company is already doing overseas. How do we prepare this country for it? And I think that that's going to be led by strong federal leadership and consistency across the state. And whether it's here in New South Wales, Matt Keane, and it's Lily Damirazio down in Victoria, or or Minister DeBrini, the world's first hydrogen minister um, up in Queensland, Um, is quite proud of that title. Um, We're starting (laughs) to see transition. Even Winston McTierney over in Western Australia was kind of the figurehead behind the LNG export to Asia, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and she's right behind hydrogen now. So we are seeing big transition. Everyone's very aware of hydrogen. We had bipartisan support before the last election. Um, And Dr. Finkel completed the um, Australian hydrogen strategy a couple of years ago. So We've got it there. It's just how do we actually look at the deployment on our networks? It's always either sell it overseas and make a fortune and help the balance the trade, but what are we doing for our networks? How do we keep wheels turning?
1: Mate, I, I love the idea, and I'm going to say, so let me, let me be devil's advocate for a second. Fuel security trips off the tongue. Everyone nods, of course, everyone nods. Of course, we should, of course, we should. Yes, of course, that makes sense. And as you say, 15 years ago, we were saying it, and we have a at the same time. And it makes some logical sense. We had and have i'm reasonably sure between gas and oil production on and offshore australia the ability to have the same thing right now with um uh, what they call you know carbon-based uh fossil fuels uh, oil gas and we simply have chosen not to for political and economic reasons um, convince me that while we could absolutely make and export hydrogen we don't up at the same place where we send barrels or not literal barrels, but you know, we send it overseas, they refine it, send it back to us. That's kind of almost at some level, the point or the problem, or, or maybe the reality of being a very, very small country with limited onshore uh, scale. The, 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 the value add, and it's frankly the same in most industries right now, you know, we, we don't make a lot of stuff, you know, we send our iron or overseas, they make steel and ship it back to us as you've already said with Hyundai, for example. Um, that, that's On one hand People will shake their fists At the sky and say Of course we should do that On the other hand If it was economically viable We already would be doing it And the fact it's not Is just the reality Of the situation that we're in And we make a lot of money Doing some of the stuff And some of them make Other money doing other things Because they can more cheaply Or more efficiently Or you know With less capital Or whatever it is um, Why is fuel security Likely to be more Attainable politically and economically, with hydrogen uh, and maybe I guess EV, I guess with the sunlights here, rather than it, it falling into the same trap or the same uh, economic circumstances as
0: as oil and gas itself. Yeah, you made a good point there, especially with LPG. We, you know, back in the, the 90s, you, know, you got incentives a couple of thousand dollars to change your car to LPG and we had a, a massive industry here and, um, and then it suddenly died away. The incentives fell off. We started exporting it all overseas and we kind of forgot about our own market. The look at your security, it, taking oil out of it i'm not sure of how much oil we actually dig out here and, and up out here and, and we find it here or export it but from lng perspective i know you know, in korea you can't have a government um uh, like a, a um, like a pension card for your car or cheaper registration or anything if it's a, it's a taxi it's got to be LPG. But it's a pension you're on a pension to be LPG. if you're um, got any kind of other thing that kind of keeps your rego cheaper and operating your car cheaper the car must be LPG car. we make them in the factory and we we looked at like a number of other manufacturers here when Ford um, closed in Geelong about turning Geelong into a uh, um, a retrofit centre, putting in kids here. But one of the things we found is that one we couldn't run our cars from overseas to build our batteries in Australia on the quality of our LPG. Um, no one was keen to change it. So then we looked at A and B. Was and we retrofit cars in Australia here? Um, we have a five year warranty on our cars here in Australia the people supplying the kits and doing the retrofit are offering a year warranty. So if you're not keen <laughs> enough to back your technology for five right, years, like right. we back the technology in our cars, why would we put that kit into a car? Oh, Especially yeah. under, from an yeah. HCCC perspective, we, we're responsible for the car as a whole. So they weren't provide, prepared to back their own technology um, and we work through our technology, we are not going to integrate it. So, and a number of other like, manufacturers looked at that and unfortunately that died off and you know, we know we can buy fairly cheap um, LNG mm. in, in, in creating out to run, you know, with heavy transport and light transport. Unfortunately, that hydrogen station we commissioned in um, in Canberra late, late, in March last year, that was an LNG station and, and the LNG trucks were still filling up when the station was commissioned operating and then they actually shut the LNG side of it down and, and it's completely dead now. And I'm hoping that hydrogen picks it up. So, yeah, you're right. It is a big challenge for the future, I understand we can make, make the same mistakes. But I think it's getting to the point now with those two or three other refineries closing over the last couple of years, um, having two left, the geopolitical tensions. Um, we are an economic um, and a resource of powerhouse when it comes to, to what we have either in the sky, shining down the wind, um, the water close to the coast, uh, or you know, what we're digging out of the ground and using to power the grid now. Everyone wants to think we can snap our thing and change our grid to green next week, or whether it be our transfer, not probably the greenest guy you'll find in, a, um, in an automotive company anywhere in Australia, but it's going to take time. And we really want to encourage people, you know, it's at 7,000 petrol stations in Australia, generally, in you know, the Ampoles and the BPs and, and as other guys, have Shell, they've got to be in fairly convenient locations, not in, you know, obscure locations, not to go to, they're there because they're going to attract customers to them. What are they doing for the future to attract our customers? So people that are buying our EVs today, and we've got three on the market, um, we've got another one coming this year, and, and then three Gen- for a Genesis model coming this week. Those customers today have got no reason to go to a petrol station to buy, um, anything in the store, the milk, right. coke, yeah. the bread yeah. and whether the, the profits are made for competing stores because you're not selling anything on the pork or the custom seat, you're not selling hydrogen, you're not selling electrons. So it's a big opportunity, one, for those guys who's going to take the lead first. And i made a lot of public comments about where they're heading with their business. But then we look at the Coles, the Aldi's, the Woolworths, the McDonald's, the Kentuckys, especially for, for EV, if you're going to stop for 10, 15, 20 minutes and, and go and grab some groceries in, in one of the grocery stores or grab a, a fast meal. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many McDonald's stores are in Australia, but they're probably, um, they're probably match store per store, a lot of the oil company sites. Why couldn't they be a, um, a transport solution for the future for building up cars? You know, you've usually got clean facilities to go and have a, have a break-in, uh, log in the Wi-Fi, do some work, while well, you can't get it getting a 20-minute charge? So, it's really going to break up the industry of how quickly the, the traditional oil company is going to introduce in them to change for the future and, and who else is going to step up? Is it competing guys with a massive uh, footprint across Australia or is it the, the grocery store guys who are happy to have you spend 20, 30 minutes in a, um, in a supermarket? Right. Right. I don't know about you. Well, I, I can't well, walk there. into Woolies without spending or <laughs> What's it up for a loaf of bread brand? I walk out spend $70. I don't know what I spend it on. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Unless you're getting a, a, a cheap um, fill of hydrogen in the car. Uh, but again, your own house at the power station if you've got off-peak power, um, you get half price fuel after 9 o'clock at night and after about 5 in the morning. You can't go to a petrol station today and get half price petrol. If you've got solar on the roof and you are working from home, um, you can collect that, store the battery, and then use that for your transport. So there's so many ways that tra- uh, transport's going to change from a, either charging with hydrogen or, or charging with electricity. And especially with electricity, you're, you're in control. You don't have to align yourself with one particular brand. You can get it done anywhere. And I've got all the apps on my phone and... I'll use anyone and everyone and I'll pay for convenience, Um, but of course I'll I'll try and charge home if I can.
1: Talk to me about the replacement ability. I've just made a new word um, between hydrogen and and diesel. I, I, full disclosure: I, I drive a diesel Hilux currently, uh, and one of the things that would stop me from doing an EV, we, we go a couple of times a, a year. We go out bush. We were in Birdsville earlier this year. We went up to Winton and Longreach, and out to you know uh, Inaminka. Um, those are places where you're going to struggle to get charging infrastructure, uh, or eventually probably you will. But I'm kind of thinking, Gee, it'd be nice to know that I could I could uh, you know like the diesel replacement you talk about drive a hydrogen Hilux for example um and and get it filled assuming there were were stations out there that that carried it it seems like a really obvious solution for long-range drivers four-wheel drivers but also for transport trucks and other things um talking about the 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 energy density talking about the cost talking about you know if if i'm gonna if i'm gonna you know buy your next it won't be a Hilux that's Toyota whatever your your Hilux uh Hilux competitor would be from Hyundai um you're gonna get me in your hydrogen ute i'm gonna go bush um what what happens how long does it take do i does it cost me um you know what's
0: the what's the like for like for that one well we might use back to germany because they have got a whole lot of stations a whole lot of competitors there so up until um just a couple of months ago it used to be 990 a kilo um and we, we're doing kilos so the cars are six and up, or 6.3 kilos um so you pay in kilos and you, you can look at the uh, the range of the vehicle in grams per kilometer or kilos per 100 k's and usually it's about a kilo of hydrogen per 100 k's so yeah, nine ninety kilo was it? It's gone up to about twelve seventy four at the moment on most stations, just because of the energy costs in Europe. Um, in Australia, people are talking about anywhere from ten dollars to fifteen dollars, um, okay. some sixteen, seventeen. So Angus just just do the
1: math for a second. So it's ten to fifteen bucks a, a kilo. So I'm I'm putting in sixteen to ninety bucks worth of worth of fuel, and it's going to be about six hundred k. So am I getting? It's about 100? cost equivalent to cost equivalent
0: to petrol and diesel yeah, today. Like um, where Angus Taylor was getting to um, over the last couple of years when he was in, in that job in, in the coalition. Uh, he was talking about ht one or 2, and it's a big catchphrase, ht one 2, people, so they can do it, they can make it, a num- number of countries, so they can do it. You've got enough space, enough renewables, um, you can make a lot of hydrogen very cheaply. People reckon in Japan, a, a cost just slightly over that. So if that's a um, if it's a wholesale cost and, and the retail cost is, say, so $5 and $6, that's a good bit of margin there for, that, for the retailer, um, mm-hmm. you can you know go to about a quarter of the price of fuel today. And we're seeing that with electricity now. You've got... Other forms of electricity aren't good deals, and that's got deer at the market, but you can save a whole lot of money filling your uh, car with electrons rather than, than petrol. Uh, the big, other big benefit is, and it's a three-minute filling for a car, 10 to ten to 15 minutes for a truck or a bus, depending on how big it is. Um, that's really the, the benefits for hydrogen. Um, and it, it is going to be harder. We've got a, a big network, but then Germany's not small labor. And you look at the network between the major cities across Germany, and That that H2Live app will show people, how it can be done, but it's got to be planned. It's got to be federally led. You can, on that app, it'll show you pictures. You can go to the bottom of that, each of those stations on the app, it'll show you whether it's live, um, how much you're paying, if 24-7, the contact numbers. If you need directions, it'll give you directions there um, through the Google Maps or whatever. And at the bottom, who funded the station, whether it was, you know, um, the fuel soldier undertaking in Europe or whether it was a German government department. There's a lot of money for infrastructure. And you'll see stations right across Europe, um, not as many as Germany. Um, California's another really good one to look at what's happening there. There's an awesome website called the Californian Fuel Cell Partnership. If you're keen on learning a bit more about it, your listeners are keen to see what's happening across cars and trucks and buses, California Fuel Cell Partnership and their resources pages are awesome for that. But then there's H2Mobility Europe and H2Mobility Australia, and there's a whole lot of stuff people can find info on. Um, it's just a matter of getting on and following the right people on LinkedIn or social media and, and kind of blowing your mind about where it's heading, because it's happening very quickly. And we're starting about 10 years behind yeah, unsurprisingly, <laughs>
1: and annoyingly, I'm sure. <laughs> More annoyingly for you, I'm sure. But uh, I, I, I have some. Frust- I want not ask you to comment, but I have some frustrations. Um, mate, let, let's. Can can you tell me? I, I want to go to. Uh, I want to go to the future in a minute, but um, well, actually, let's let's go there now. It, the 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 challenge for mine for uh, EVs for now. Let's go back to that for a second. Is to your point the charging uh, time and and the range or or the ability to kind of you know quickly easily charge up, fill up, whatever. Um, super fantastic if you have the time and you can plan it out. And for most people, most of the time, that's okay. That question, the range anxiety and, and the refill time remain, I think, I guess, I, you may know differently actually, but my understanding is that that still remains the kind of two biggest hurdles. Cost is a separate one, but I'll get to that one in a sec. Um, I, I, I've said, I, I, I'm no technologist, mate. I'm no futurist. and I'm, I certainly don't, don't know anyone near as much as you do. I, I, I speculate, finger in the air, you know, who, big thumb suck. I reckon we are one to one and a half generations of battery technology away from having those problems solved for us. Um, between, yeah. you know, when someone works out how to fill these things more quickly or they're more interchangeable or they're much smaller or... And, you know, you think about the growth in battery tech so far and solar tech so far. Combine those together and fast forward seven or eight years. Remember, the iPhone's 12 years old. I keep reminding people, right? That's, you know, we've, kind of, we've taken this for granted. Imagine another 12 years of you know phone technology but then think about that in the context of battery technology or solar technology how far away are we mate from from a, a real technological breakthrough
0: i mean look man we've got electric cars like that yeah like,
1: how much more do you all want right but we're, we're kind of there now um if you okay. look
0: at so there's been 120 years of the evolution of the internal combustion engine and as a manufacturer we can't make them any cleaner which is why countries around the world are banning internal combustion um just in the last couple of years the so, we've already come to the end. So, we've already stopped the first electric car we, we launched in Australia with the Ionic EV, came in EV plug in hybrid, um, sorry, in no a hybrid. And that's now, we've produced that two months ago. Um, so, it's done its five year cycle. And we've got more cars coming to replace that. The battery tech from that car to where we are today with the Ionic 5 we launched last year, when we spoke about who's buying those things. We sell out in four to six minutes every time we have a customer care center set up. And they get hammered every time people can't get one. So, yeah, so it you know, pretty easy. So we don't sell them to our dealers just because of the, the volume we've got against the demand in Australia. It's about 20, 25,000 people that will want a car for a couple of hundred to turn up every couple of weeks. Um, so it's the first and best dress. People are getting them really happy. People that don't um, bet their fury uh, either on social media or to our customer call center. And, you know, I, I really feel sorry for our guys. They're doing an amazing job and, and you're not going to meet everyone's expectations. And most manufacturers are the same way. Everything is sold, whether it's petrol or diesel or EV, but especially EVs. The question the politicians always had is there a market for in Australia? Yes, there is. Uh, we'd love to get more. We'd love to have... Um, so we're launching three models um, tonight and over the next couple of weeks of journalists in our Genesis range. And under the Hyundai Motor Group, I've um, got key that falls under that as well. Hyundai Key and Genesis. But we don't, we don't talk about the red team. There's fighting words. We don't talk. So we're very competitive of their market here in Australia right. and, and we'll go them head to head. But the technology in a platform called our eGlobal Modular Platform, eGMP. So it's a skateboard platform that's used across the Hyundai Motor Group range, uh, range of com- companies. And that's a platform with you know, anywhere from 75 to 85, 95 kilowatt hours of the battery. So the, basically, the whole changing between the front and rear wheels is, is battery. Those cars can charge at 800 volts. Traditionally, cars are charge at 400 volts and, you know, 50 um, kilowatts or 100 kilowatts, or whatever it might be. These um, cars, so the Hyundai Eagle Montreal Shazis and the Porsche Taycan are the only cars in the world that can charge 800 volts, 350 kilowatts. So our cars will get 100 Ks every five minutes to charge. And those hydro- uh, those electric vehicle charging stations are going in. So they're in Goldwyn. When I head down to Canberra, there's when I come down from the Blue Mountains, there's, there's two now at the Shell service station at, at, at Penrith, there, just near the Bunnings. They're going in, and the federal government, even the last federal government, under the future bills, round one and now round two, um charge fox a big national network evs and national network um haven't even got funding but tassie government got funding to put these stations out so one of the good things we are doing with building the stations of the future today so those ultra rapid stations that can charge cars very very quickly are coming uh we're going to see more manufacturers um they'll go to go to that uh, 800 volts and 350 bar i oh, sorry 350 kilowatt um charging which is awesome because it gets people done and dusted pretty quickly now that last you can basically go from 10% to 8% in 16 minutes. That last that lasts 20% s- slower and it is slow across every band and the stations because you don't want to overheat the batteries or do think. But our batteries are all water cooled anyway. So you look at you meant about the iPhone and the evolution of the iPhone, the biggest thing, you know, lithium pollen batteries and iPhones. If you want to replace your phone every three years because your boss gave it to you, fully charge it every single night. Um, so they don't like heat, they don't like cold, they don't like being flat, they don't like being full. With cars, we control that. We never let the cars, even when it stops and says you run out of energy, there's still a certain percentage of energy left in the battery. We never even let them get completely full, so the dash is 100%, but there's still range above that, so we never take them 100%. And we control the hot and colds. Now, we don't need the thermal blankets inside the cars in the southern hemisphere, but we do have it in our northern hemisphere deployments. But what we do have here is cooling systems, so your air conditioning system linked to the cooling system. And whether it's a hot day driving, you're soaking all that heat from the road or you're charging in the middle of Adelaide somewhere and it's 50 degrees and you're putting 350 kilowatts, will chill the batteries down and protect that heat. Um, and that the systems and the batteries control all those variances. It's harder to do it in the boat because you've only got something that needs to bit in the palm of your hand. It can be done when the whole platform when the battery is a battery, the whole platform carries as a battery.
1: Very, very, very cool, mate. I, I love that. I'm mean, tech nerd. I mean, I'm mean not, i not that good or not. That good could not be clever, it, but I love the way these things are evolving. That's, that's spectacularly good. i looking forward to get you okay. out and have a look. So. <laughs> there you go. There, there you go. Listen, stand by. Some uh, social media photos of me uh, in a Hyundai uh, EV or hydrogen car. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Scott. Um, mate, one more question before we get to our, our favourite questions. Um, can I start? Oh, before I do, the total cost of ownership question. I am, uh, humans are weird, right? I, I spend my life, as you know, you listen to our podcasts. I spend my life, you know, we talk about stocks, about picking companies. The, the hardest challenge with investing and frankly, the biggest thing most people can do for their investing is to overcome our own behavioral biases, right? The human psychology that just, we're, we're designed to run across the savannah and be, be be careful about lions. We're really, really, really bad at being impatient, uh, about, you know, putting things off into the future, about, you know, uh, delaying delaying gratification, all that kind of stuff. Total cost of ownership, The you've already talked about the fact you can, you know, solar panels, you can charge a car for free, something the equivalent fuel would cost you these days, I don't know, hundred and something dollars a tank. Um, uh, the, the total cost of ownership, because, oh, those EVs are so expensive. I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me they're as cheap or cheaper than internal combustion engines, but we haven't been able to get it across. And even with solar panels, people put on the roof. Oh, I don't want to pay five grand for solar panels because it costs a lot of money. It's like, oh, can I tell you the, the, the payback on that, even without an EV, are so stupidly fast it makes, it's, it makes no financial sense not to have solar panels if you can possibly charge them, and yet people don't. And I, I'm going to assume it's the same with cars.
0: Firstly, is that true? And secondly, how do we get around that? The Cars are more expensive. There's no getting around that. The technology vehicles are smaller. We build cars in the tens or hundreds of thousands rather than the yeah. millions. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah your, your volume costs, you're paying a lot more for a low volume of components in the vehicle. So when we start building, you know, the, the six or eight million cars and trucks and everything yeah. we make per year um, across our, our different brands... Mm as their emission, then we're buying in those, those parts. And we had some journalists in Korea a couple of years ago one asked the, um, the R&D Centre, and we had a fuel cell stack we're looking at, and the journalist said, give us a, um, a, a, an idea of what it looks like when we start ordering parts in, in the hundreds of thousands of difference it makes. So there's a valve on the fuel cell stack we've got in our car today. Uh, it's a three-way cooling valve, just a little plastic valve three-way. It's um, 375 US dollars per unit if we buy them in the, the um, I think, about three to 5,000 units at a time. We Started to buy those in 100,000 years' time, it goes to 375 US dollars to 75 dollars. <laughs> so, times <laughs> oh, that by all, the, all the parts in the yeah. car, um, and then start looking at the dollar cost of a kilowatt of battery, say uh, the cost of the copper, the lithium, and the iron, uh, everything else that's needed to create a battery, um, <laughs> that goes into it. And we, we probably have anybody today about the, the battery technology and the, the warranties and the of batteries. That's another really awesome topic, and hopefully, we'll solve a lot of that. But yeah, it's um, the yeah. SG fleet, done a bit once they run a lot of the federal government fleet, the defense fleet, and also the ACT government cars, and they worked out that if you have one of our cars uh, in EV for four years instead of keeping a hybrid from a competitor brand for three years, it works out. Um, a Dollar cost actually um, becomes economically viable, and I think uh, Chief Minister and Minister Ratten and the ACT have actually highlighted that in a number of conferences around Australia, and, and I think um, Chief, Minister, sorry, yeah, Chief Minister Rattenberg has even done it overseas. So we're working hard with ourselves and all our competitors to get as many cars as we can, but our cars have a five-year warranty. The batteries have an eight-year warranty. So if you keep that car one year longer in your, your, your government fleet um, and you're selling the vehicle at auction with a four-year battery warranty on the battery, which is what everyone seems to panic about and wants to talk about, you'll find it. our batteries, um, when you see the batteries here, when, we split, when we've we got them all split down and we've changed all our training, still do some internal combustion because there's still cars coming in the next couple of years, but with, really heavily focused on EV hydrogen, fuel cell training. You'll see our batteries that have been split down. There's cells and the cells, we can individually diagnose a cell. Three cells make a um, a pack and then the packs go into modules. So we can diagnose cells, packs or modules. There might be six to 10 modules in the car. Um, We can rebalance modules. We can take them out and rebalance machines we have here in Australia now. We don't see the need to replace whole batteries because they wear out over time, we can replace the um, damaged cell, the faulty cell, or the, the rebalance modules that are down and do a lot of work to re-get them back up again. There's so many other valuable materials, not just the cell itself. you have got multiple computers sitting inside the battery cooling systems, the aluminium cases, the insulations. There's so much more that goes into a battery that's worth money than just the cell itself. Mm. So we want to see yeah, right. those get reworked. People are saying we want to start a business up to you know, get, get Hyundai and Nissans and Teslas old batteries and put them in the shipping containers and make... Um, cheaper versions of, of Tesla mega batteries. You probably wait a long time for batteries, um, especially from our brand, because they, they're cool and got all the, the, the devices to keep them running as efficiently and safely as possible. For a long time, the only time we actually, and we had it last year, we had a recall of batteries last year for some of our, some of our cars. So we tested the system in Australia. Yeah. We managed to recycle 98.2% of the battery. The other thing we couldn't recycle are the kind of a big Play-Dohs that insulate the batteries and a few other um, insulations and foams. All those materials that are in the battery are uh, um, valuable. So we sent them well, the lithiums and different things, and coppers and coal all back to Korea. The plastics and that metals were recycled here. And it was 0.8 actually went into Lanthrop, which is more insulations and kind of um, the doughy Plato looking thing. So it's this you kind of every time you summon a new topic, it's almost diving into another treasure chest of information. But um, a lot of work's been done um, around the world uh, across a lot of manufacturers and a lot of Universities especially, when we look at some of the units here behind us, we've got the School of Engineering from Macquarie and UNSW and um, RMIT and, and Monash and these guys are all working on the next generations of um, electric motors and, um, you know, we're it's our new polymers for carbon fiber tanks and there's so much happening here in Australia but around the world. Um, you spoke about the, the time of change. It's, we're going to see massive generational change that might have taken 10, 20 years in internal combustion happening every five years in, in EVs and fuel cell, and we're seeing that today. Mm-hmm. Very cool, mate. Super cool. All
1: right. All right. We're running out of time, mate. You've been very, very generous with your time and I really appreciate it. Listen, I'm sure you've absolutely got a heap out of it as I have. Um, this is such a such a quickly evolving area and uh, I look forward to seeing those vehicles you talk about. Yeah, they will be released by soon this podcast goes to air. So uh, I'm sure people can just Google Hyundai new vehicles or something. I'm sure they'll be able to find what those what those are. Um, mate, in the meantime, let's finish off with our final questions, the ones that we ask all of our guests that our listeners love. Um, mate, I'm a big reader, a big a big watcher, a big streamer, although I try to, I limit myself these days because otherwise i have up till two in the morning. Um, what are you reading and, and watching at the moment?
0: Yeah, I, I'm reading probably not so much uh, in the book. The world. I do a lot of, um, like I do study a lot of World War II stuff and, and managed to track through Kakoda um, and Philippines and Pacific, but for me it's understanding what's happening with um, laws and, and stuff and, and what industry is doing in Germany, especially in Europe, and what's happening in California. So just last week, California announced the ban in term of internal combustion by 2035, so what's happening with the pulse has been put in place to try and achieve that. How do we actually get our country not to reinvent um, the wheel and actually look at the best policy around the world and what's working, what's not working. The benefit of being 10 years behind, it, we get to see those learnings from around the world. So how can we, how can we learn that, study that and understand and then draw you know, to attention of our, our policymakers here? Um, so that's kind of what I'm waiting anything that's happening in Europe and North America um, or in Asia and try and, try and get to the point here.
1: Sounds obvious, given we've just spent uh, an entire podcast about trends. But let's let's get to other trends, if there are. And I know your uh, your life, your work life in particular, is consumed by trends on, on future mobility. Uh, what trends are you watching? Whether it's the job business, or the economy, society, the world, anything kind of got your fascination,
0: got your attention? Yeah, it's something I'm, I'm watching at the moment. Since now announced last couple of days here in Australia, but the airborne mobility, flying taxi. Now we have our own ah. airborne mobility team in Korea, but there's okay. number. Companies made announcements in Australia, and there's one who's talking about airports for urban air mobility or flying techniques down in Melbourne that came out today. So looking at that next generation, because we've got them, we've employed some of the best brains out of NASA, just signed an agreement with Rolls-Royce Aviation, and we'll have things on, if I won't say the ground, but in the air shortly. But looking at what's happening here in Australia and some of the developments here, and some of the people contacting me about wanting to incorporate our hydrogen fuel cell stacks um, and we can build a whole complete like, vehicle or we can just sell a stack and someone can retrofit a train, and bus, a truck, or build the vehicle. So people asking for aviation, um, in aviation, that fascinates me. And I got to spend a bit of time at Airbus in Germany um, a couple of years back on, on a Siemens trip. And talking to the guys there where they built kind of military helicopters and then corporate helicopters and they got the touchstone, the, are the Mars rover, um, SISO, the one that didn't go up. Um, you know, seeing how we can incorporate this technology um, there's a great video that you know, they had up another mate actually got two, but in Pratt and Whitney we use the fuel cell stacks in the Gemini and Apollo space programs. Oh, the fuel cells cool. powered the capsule <laughs> and the fuel cell, the byproduct of the fuel cells is water and purified air. So yeah. the cabin the air cabin was purified with the fuel cell and the water that the fuel cell as a byproduct, made made um, was drank by the astronauts. It's a, I've seen them here, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and there's some maintenance stuff you see online, so where fuel cell live, the aviation is fascinating. I mean, where do we already built big commercial ships and trades. We're going to see that anyway. Um, marine applications are pretty cool, but air- aircraft is another one. Like think about um, think about an aircraft that taxis around the runway. We've seen this in Germany, um, where one of the airlines um, put an electric motor in the front hub of a wheel. It was powered by hydrogen. They said about eighty percent of the fuel from an aircraft, um, maybe a fuel was used just taxing point of thrust and take off, just moving in the airport. Wow. Because the hops across Europe are so small. We are in the airport, oh, yeah, 30, okay. 40 minutes. Yep. So, so much fuel was used <laughs> on the ground putting that local community. <laughs> Imagine moving a plane around the airport to the point of yeah. thrust and takeoff off on an electric motor on the front hub. That's that's pretty cool. Super cool, mate. Super cool.
1: Jetsons, here we come. Uh, second last one. What advice would you give someone who is interested in a job in your industry? Call it automotive, call it uh, future of fuels, uh, wherever, wherever your passion, wherever your instinct takes you. What would you give? What advice would you give someone living uni now, looking for a job in
0: these spaces? I just, just read everything you can. Get on the social media channels on LinkedIn. To follow the, the people across a number of manufacturers. Some great people leading change here in Australia and around the world. Um, the automotive industry is. An amazing industry to be in. Um, you know, I've I started as a mechanic. Um, my dad's a mechanic. My son's a mechanic. I started as a mechanic and, and realised I get my hands dirty, so I, <laughs> I went and studied and then, and then kind of progressed from there. But don't, um, don't look back. You know that the automotive industry is here for a long time. We're still going to be driving cars uh, on roads for a long, long time. <laughs> We're working on that flying taxis, but um, you know there's some amazing stuff happening. You know, people go, you know, I never drive anything. I love my V eight. They, they change their mind once they jump in the test room and put it in. Um, in, um, in high performance mode and, it, and you know, it's there at 103.2 seconds if nobody is doing that. So <laughs> um, some great tech and some great design and innovation. You look at some of the cars coming up, whether it be from Tesla or from Hyundai or from many of our other competitors, um, whether it's in design or engineering or manufacturing, um, you know, and so it's a great area to be. But anywhere from an eco perspective, whether it's in government or industry or looking at the renewable energies or, um, and making energies and hopefully selling out green sunshine offshore in the future, once you we know, once we sort out our own backyard, um, there's a great opportunity for people in the, in the eco space. It's, it's where every country in the world's heading. We're moving out, kicking and screaming, but that's quickly changing now with the new government. It's an enormously exciting space, mate. I will ask uh, you
1: to share with us how people can keep in touch with what's going on, uh, accounts or, or whatever to follow. But before I do, uh, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist by nature. Uh, I get a sense you are. If you're looking at future mobility, you've got to be
0: looking forward and saying, this is amazing, this is great. Other than the future of mobility, what are you optimistic about, Scott? I mean, I've, I've got three sons and they're all kind of in the early 20s now. One gays last weekend. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, not be really a grandparent. You know, what, <laughs> exactly. what, what, what their kids are, what the kids to be doing and driving in the future, what we'll be we powering their homes with. You know, we're, we're kind of in this time of rapid change. And I think now with the change of government and even having got live on Labor states across the country, but we all seem to be heading in the right direction. Um, I look forward to seeing my, my kids will be doing what my grandkids will be driving and your grandkids will be driving, Scott. So, you know, I think your, your son, you know, as you said on, on podcasts and previously, is looking at cars and things and what he wants to buy and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that the future. But, um, you know, I think uh, once we get you out to our site here and show you a couple of our current cars and some of the future stuff we've got on site here, oh, I think your, your, your sceptics might not be
1: blown <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that very much. Um, before we wrap up, how can people follow you, follow Hyundai, follow more about the future of uh, automotive uh, innovation? What, what, are there some particular accounts, particular platforms, particular magazines or, or publications?
0: What's the best way to do this? The Hyundai Australia social media channels would be the great one. So whether uh, um, Snapchat, link, LinkedIn or, um, or Facebook, um, you know, Scott Naga on LinkedIn, is probably another uh, right, no one to follow. But also and follow my competitors, follow the guys from Toyota and Tesla and, and um and uh, this and in other places as well, there's some great stuff coming through, but Shandai globally has a great, um, so Shandai Global Tech Sites really goes in and breaks down a lot of those, um, how technology works, why it works, and then our competitors have the same thing. So just check all the top manufacturers that are driving change here in Australia and around the world and, and just follow happening. But also YouTube, there's some awesome animated videos about how a fuel cell works, how um, how electric batteries work, um, and even down to educating um younger kids in, in primary school. Now, really basic education videos up to some pretty high-tech videos, but there's some, you know, everything's on social media these days. It's one of the good things is that from a kind perspective, we love the idea of people, and especially journalists, putting our cards against our competitors' cars. We don't know how we can improve our, our product and, and move forward and, and better if we're not being put head-to-head about the best competitors. And what we really hope for here in Australia is, because we are a market um we don't have hardly enough right-hand drive cars here in Australia. to the UK and other right-hand drive markets in the world, but we want to have a really good competitive market. So um, I encourage people to go and test drive EVs of any brand. Um, and if you can, spend a night, take it overnight away from the salesman. Um, I guarantee most people will be convinced. If you can, if you can deal with the range and the charging, um, there's nothing different than driving a normal car. Most people get to say, I'm a market normal up and the silence and the extreme power <laughs> um, but just just do it uh, make your own mind up don't let sell them. try and sell you um do your own research go drive a car ours or someone else's and, and make your own mind up beautiful.
1: Mate, you've been very, very generous to the time. I really appreciate it. I've learned a heap. Uh, I'm sure you've sent me and a lot of our listeners down a lot of different YouTube rabbit holes over the next uh, 24 or 48 hours, so I look forward to doing more of that. I will come out and, and check out those vehicles. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, in the meantime, uh, all that remains is to say thank you. Scott, you are the Senior Fu- Manager of Future Mobility and Government Relations at Hyundai. Scott Naga, thanks for joining me on The Good Oil. Thank you very much. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden and imaged by Link Kelly.